Chapter Forty Seven of The Secret Service by Albert Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter Forty Seven. It hath been the longest night that e'er I watched, and the most heaviest. Two gentlemen of Verona. But for this miracle, I mean our preservation, few in millions can speak like us. Tempest. As I toiled, staggering, up each successive hill, it seemed that this terrible climbing and this torturing day would never end. But necessity and hope work miracles, and strength proved equal to the hour. At four p.m. the clouds broke. The sun burst out, as we stood on the icy summit, revealing a grand view of mountains, valleys, and streams on every side. After a brief halt, we began the descent. Our path, trodden only by refugees and prisoners, led by Dan Ellis, had been worn so deep by the water that, in many places, our bodies were half concealed. How Dan rushed down those steep declivities! It was easy to follow now, and I kept close behind him. Fording Creeks in the Darkness Twilight, dusk, darkness came on, and again the rain began to pour down. We could not see each other five yards away. We pressed steadily on. We reached the foot of the mountain, and were in a dark, pine-shadowed, winding road, which frequently crossed a swollen, foamy creek. At first Dan hunted for logs, but the darkness made this slow work. He finally abandoned it, and, whenever we came to a stream, plunged in up to the middle, dashed through and rushed on, with dripping garments. Our cavalcade and procession must have stretched back fully three miles, but every man endeavored to keep within shouting distance of his immediate predecessor. Prospect of a Dreary Night We shall camp tonight, said Dan, at a lonely house two miles from the foot of the mountain. Reaching the place, we found that, since his last journey, this dwelling had tumbled down, and nothing was left but a labyrinth of timbers and boards. We laboriously propped up a section of the roof. It proved a little protection from the dripping rain, and, while the rest of the party slowly straggled in, Treadaway went to the nearest Union house to learn the condition of the country. In fifteen minutes we heard the tramp of his returning horse, and could see a firebrand glimmering through the darkness. Something wrong here, said Dan. There must be danger, or he would not bring fire, expecting us to stay out of doors such a night as this. What is the news, Treadaway? Bad enough, replied the lieutenant, dismounting from his dripping horse, carefully nursing between two pieces of board the glowing firebrand. The rebel guerrillas are thick and vigilant. A party of them passed here only this evening. I tell you, Dan Ellis, we've got to keep a sharp eye out, if we don't want to be picked up. 
all who could find room huddled under the poorly propped roof which threatened to fall and crush them dan and his immediate comrades with great readiness improvised a little camp for themselves so thatching it with boards and shingles that it kept the water off their heads they were soon asleep grasping their inseparable rifles and near their horses from which they never permitted themselves to be far away with my two journalistic friends i deemed rest nearly as important as safety for we needed to accumulate strength we found our way through the darkness to the nearest union house there was a great fire blazing on the hearth but the little room was crowded with our weary and soaking companions who had anticipated us sleeping among the husks we crossed the creek to another dwelling where the occupant a lifelong invalid was intensely loyal with his wife and little son he greeted us very warmly adding i wish i could keep you in my house but it would not be safe we will give you quilts and you may sleep among the husks in the barn where you will be warm and dry if the guards come during the night they will be likely to search the house first and the boy or the woman can probably give you warning but if they do find you of course you will tell them that we are not privy to your concealment because you know it would be a matter of life and death for me we found the husks dry and fragrant and soon forgot our weariness twenty four tuesday january ten breakfasting before daylight that we might not be seen leaving the house we sought our rendezvous those who had remained in camp were a wet cold sorry-looking party by nine o'clock several who had been among the union people in the neighborhood returned and held a consultation the accounts of all agreed that fifteen or twenty miles ahead the danger was great and the country exceedingly difficult to pass through moreover the union forces still appeared to recede as we approached the places where they were reputed to be we were now certain that there were none at jonesboro none at greenville probably none east of strawberry plains turning back in discouragement eight or ten of our party determined to turn back among them were three union soldiers who had seen service and peril but they said to us as they turned to retrace their steps over rich mountain it is useless to go on the party will never get through in the world not a single man of it will reach knoxville unless he waits till the road is clear ellis and treadaway listened to them with a quiet smile the perils ahead did not disturb our serenity because they were so much lighter than the perils behind we had left horrors to which all future possibilities were a mercy we had looked in at the windows of death and stood upon the verge of the life to be we doubted not that the difficulties were greatly magnified and all dangers looked infinitesimal along the path leading toward home and freedom among those who went back was a north carolina citizen accompanied by a little son the child of his old age reluctant to trust himself again to the tender mercies of the rebels he was unaccustomed to the warpath and decided to return to the ills he had had rather than fly to others 
which he knew not of. Purchasing one of his horses, I was no longer dependent upon the kindness of Ellis and his comrades for a steed. Before noon we started, following secluded valley paths. The rain ceased, and the day was pleasant. At a Union dwelling we came upon the hot track of eight guerrillas, who had been there only an hour before. The rebel hunting instinct waxed strong within Dan, and, taking eight of his own men, he started in fierce pursuit, leaving Treadaway in charge of the company. Before dark we reached Kelly's Gap, camping in an old orchard beside a large farmhouse with many ample outbuildings. The place was now deserted. One of our guides explained. A Union man lived here, and he was hanged last year upon that apple tree. They cut him down, however, before he died, and he fled from the country. Tying our horses to the trees, we parched corn for supper. Fires were kindled in the buildings, giving the place a genial appearance as night closed in. A REBEL PRISONER BROUGHT IN After dark, Dan and his comrades returned. The whole party of guerrillas had very narrowly escaped them. They captured one and brought him in a prisoner. One of the outbuildings was cleaned, and he was placed in it, under two volunteer guards armed with rifles. He was not more than twenty-two years old, and had a heavy, stolid face. He steadily denied that he was a guerrilla, asserting that he had been in the rebel army, had deserted from it, taken the oath of allegiance to the United States while at Knoxville, and was now trying to live quietly. Some of Ellis's men believed that he had broken his oath of allegiance, and was the most obnoxious of the guerrillas. In his presence they discussed freely the manner of disposing of him. Some advocated taking him to Knoxville, and turning him over to the authorities. Others, who seemed to be a majority, urged taking him out into the orchard and shooting him. This counsel seemed likely to prevail. Several of the men who gave it had seen brothers or fathers murdered by the rebels. The prisoner had little intelligence, and talked only when addressed. I could but admire the external stolidity with which he listened to these discussions. One of his judges and would-be executioners asked him, "'Well, sir, what have you to say for yourself?' "'I am in your hands,' he replied, without moving a muscle. "'You can kill me if you want to, but I have kept the oath of allegiance, and I am innocent of the charges you bring against me.' After some further debate, a Union officer from East Tennessee said, he may deserve death, and he probably does, but we are not murderers, and he shall not be shot. I will use my own revolver on anybody who attempts it. Let us hear no more of these taunts. No brave man will insult a prisoner. It was at last decided to take him to Knoxville. He bore this decision with the same silence he had manifested at the prospect of death. During this scene, Dan was absent. He had gone to the nearest Union house to learn the news, for every loyal family in a range of many hundred miles knew and loved him. We, very weary, lay down to sleep in an old orchard, with our saddles for pillows. Our reflections were pleasant. We were only seventy-nine miles from the Union lines. We progressed swimmingly, and had even begun to regulate the domestic affairs of the border.
an alarm at midnight before midnight someone shook my arm i rubbed my eyes open and looked up there was dan ellis boys we must saddle instantly we have walked right into a nest of rebels several hundred are within a few miles eighty are in this immediate vicinity they are lying in ambush for colonel kirk and his men it is doubtful whether we can ever get out of this we must divide into two parties the footmen must take to the mountains we who are riding and in much greater danger as horses make more noise and leave so many traces must press on at once if we ever hope to the word was passed in low tones our late prisoner no longer an object of interest was allowed to wander away at his own sweet will flinging our saddles upon our weary horses we were in motion almost instantly my place was near the middle of the cavalcade the man just before me was riding a white horse which enabled me to follow him with ease we galloped along at dan's usual pace with sublime indifference to roads up and down rocky hills across streams through swamps over fences everywhere but upon public thoroughfares a young lady for a guide i supposed we had travelled three miles when davis fell back from the front and said to me that young lady rides very well does she not what young lady the young lady who was piloting us i had thought dan ellis was piloting us and rode forward to see about the young lady there she was i could not scrutinize her face in the darkness but it was said to be comely i could see that her form was graceful and the ease and firmness with which she sat on her horse would have been a lesson for a riding master the nameless heroine she was a member of the loyal family to which dan had gone for news the moment she learned his need she volunteered to pilot him out of that neighborhood where she was born and bred and knew every acre the only accessible horse one belonging to a rebel officer but just then kept in her father's barn was brought out and saddled she mounted came to our camp at midnight and was now stealthily guiding us avoiding farmhouses where the rebels were quartered going round their camps evading their pickets she led us for seven miles then while we remained in the wood she rode forward over the long bridge which spanned the nolchucky river now to be crossed a second time to see if there were any guards upon it went to the first union house beyond to learn whether the roads were picketed came back and told us the coast was clear then she rode by our long line toward her home had it been safe to cheer we should certainly have given three times three for the nameless heroine who did us such vital kindness benisons upon her dear head forever End of chapter 47 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida